name is Tom. I'm the, uh, the senior pastor here at Eastridge, and we are doing a little mini-series um, for the next, well, the past, last week, this week, and next, because Advent starts in two weeks. Um, so get ready for Christmas um, and all of the nonstop Christmas uh, songs and everything. Um, here we go. And it's... I, love, I like Christmas. I'm not like a pastor that hates Christmas, but um, I worked retail uh, in seminary, and um, that kind of jaded my views on Christmas a little bit. Um, I had to work Black Fridays, and uh, that jaded my views on humanity uh, for a while. Um, this will date me, but I w- worked Black Friday when they came out with the Nintendo Wii. And uh, so I was one of the larger guys at the store, and I had to bodyguard the Wiis uh, at 4 a.m. at a Best Buy. Uh, and that was, that, was, that was interesting. So yeah, Christmas is two weeks away. And uh, so this, this series is just a little, little one about kind of our vision and the vision of Eastridge, the purpose of the church, you know, how does a church function? Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, what are we about? And we are about making heaven crowded. That's what we do. We are trying to get uh, and reach as many people as we possibly can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that being kind of the overarching vision of, of us, and that impacts our decisions. And the point of church and the purpose of church is, is debatable amongst kind of Christians, but our view of it is a, as a family of God, we, we gather uh, together and we all kind of chip in uh, through various roles, various ministries, uh, through, through giving, through serving, through volunteering, all for that purpose of reaching more people for Jesus. And so... If we had kind of know that going in as kind of imperfect people all chipping in from different parts of life, there is a part of the the Bible that um, pastors have used and abused, but it's also very important to learn. And that is the topic of giving and funding the the church. Now, this isn't just a, a money uh, discussion. This is about you know serving and giving and, and volunteering and all of that. But in the Bible, the second most mentioned topic is wealth and finances. It only is second to the kingdom of heaven. And so when God is talking about that that often, that quantity means that's something that we should really take a look at because it is a part of us that Jesus is constantly warning us about because wealth and finances can uh, capture our trust, our security. Uh, we can put our, our hope in them and we can actually begin to, to worship those things. So I'm going to talk to you about this and, and, and I know that um, you, you may have heard and it's unfortunate, but you may have heard messages or pastors talk about this in, the, uh, in other places. Or God is a giant ATM machine in the sky. And if you donate a dollar, you'll get $100 back, right? And all of that kind of abusive, and it's ugly. And so what that then does is it makes pastors avoid it. And that's not accurate to do either, because when God says something 800 times, we should really try to say, what are you trying to warn us about? Why is this such an important topic? So, 
I'm going to start in the book of Matthew. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says to them, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. And sometimes, you know, if I ask a question, you know, what do you treasure? Uh, you'll say, well, I treasure my family, treasure my kids. Cool, that's where your heart should be. Maybe the other way to ask it is, where is your heart? And you will find out what you treasure. And these are all usually good things. These are things that are good things that we sometimes will elevate to the most important thing. And that's when you get into the concept of idolatry or something that you are worshiping. All that worship means is elevation. That you are going to give, uh, you know, produce, give elevation to something else. And you can see what you are treasuring by where you spend your time, where you spend your, your mental capacity, where you, what, what decisions you are making. And so in that, we as a church kind of have to know, that, you know, what do we treasure and what do we value? And we value and treasure Jesus Christ. At, at, and in his word, we are trying to get the word out as much as we possibly can. And in order to do that, we all have to, as a family, kind of chip in. But 800 times in the Bible, God is warning us that this can capture your heart. This can, this can capture your, your attention, your adoration. In 1 Timothy, it says this, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly free. That's truly life, sorry. Where is your treasure? Where are we placing... Uh, you know, our, our hope in. He said, don't place your hope in wealth. This is another warning from Paul to Timothy. Don't place your hope in that because that's always what we're trying to pursue. If we can just have this, if we can just get this next thing, or if I can just get this next raise, have you ever noticed that you never arrive at the thing? There's always another thing that if you just had this, if you were to talk to yourself 10 years ago and you were to tell your 10-year 10 10 year version of yourself ago like what you are making currently, would that 10-year-old person be happy? Would they be satisfied? Like, oh, sweet. I remember when Lindsay and I first got married, um, we were broker, then broke. We tithed in ramen noodles. That's what we did. We would take our ramens and, you know, I would, we, Lindsay always has been, no, we're giving, period. And... I had to come kind of around on that one uh, for a while because I went, do you know how broke we are? I was working at Radio Shack. It doesn't even exist anymore, right? Selling batteries, minimum wage, trying to survive, going through seminary and grad school. And we got married. And we got married over Christmas break. 
because I had availability then. <laughs> and we got married uh, on December 20th. Why would you, why would, and that was a poor decision as a pastor to get married on December 20th in the busiest week of your year. You also have an anniversary in there. We didn't think that through, but we did think it through because the church would be decorated for free. <laughs> That's why we did it. And I was on Christmas break. But Lindsay said, we are going to, we, we give because we are investing in the future of, of, of the church, but also the future of the world. And we're investing in kids we don't know yet. Last week I talked about that we are sitting in chairs bought by people that you don't know on a foundation poured by people that invested in you without even knowing it. You know, um, and that has happened through generation after generation. Um, the, the, it doesn't happen as much in the States, but the church in Notre Dame, as an example, took 350 years to build. So that dude who put the first cornerstone in knew he would never worship in that church. He also knew his kids wouldn't, his grandchildren probably wouldn't, but maybe his great-grandkids would. That happens here a little bit. You know, as an example, um, you know, I have a, and this is what's funny, is I have a record of deposits from 1935 for this church. And I, I look at these names and think, you know, of, of people that invested in kind of us, Without even knowing it. So 1935, this is the height of the Great Depression. And there's still with pencil and paper, writing it down. There's little check marks because somebody wrote this. So um, I found her in here earlier. Esther, on June 7th, 1936, gave $3.09 to the church. I love the nine cents. You can always tell when somebody's balancing their checkbook on the church, right? But, but nine cents, not ten, right? But Esther, in the height of the Great Depression, said, this is better here. And I feel such a kind of responsibility to her. I have no idea who she is. But for us, I like to say, hey, okay, even when it's the midst of a trying time or whatever, we continue to fund the, the, the future of the church. Um, in 2 Corinthians uh, 9, I didn't think I did this, it says, Now who's, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service, by which you have provided yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in the prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. So we have been given this grace, now we get to give, yes, financially, but also serve and volunteer and pitch in as the family of God. Now, usually, because pastors don't like talking about this topic, it gets avoided. But if God is saying something 800 times, 
It's incorrect to avoid it. Now, here's what I want you to notice. We don't pass a basket here. I'm not going to, all of a sudden there's going to be a new basket that comes out. I'm done with this topic and we're going to do it. We're going to do three more offerings today. And we're, we got like a jet out back that I want to buy. And there's all this stuff. And so we're, we are in that, in that vein. In very, that's very important to us. But it's also important how transparent we are. Because, this is kind of an ethic, core ethic of us and the leadership here at the church, because of kind of the abuses of past, not here, but of, of uh, all around the world, um, in what other organization could you walk into their lobby and their entire budget is on the front desk? So, hey, just show up at, any, show up at Menards and uh, say, hey, uh, can I see the budget for this new but here we do, because of how important it is that your funds and all of that go to funding the ministry. Now, some of that stuff's really fun, like trunk or treat, or, or baptizing, you know, heating the water for the baptisms next week. It's also natural gas, and, and snow plows, and salt. It's all the kind of the stuff that you have maybe at your house, too. The, the, it's not as fun, but those are things that are necessary to make the ministry possible. And why do we do it? Next week is why we do it. Next week, I, I think so far, I think I just saw another one. I think we're doing 19 dedications. Uh, five or six baptisms. I don't really know how we're going to do 19 dedications. Um, but we'll get there. We'll figure it out, right? Um, the service will not just be dedications. Um, but think of that. Okay, what, so what is that? That's 19 families standing up here with their kids saying, we're raising them in this church. We're dedicating them to God. We are, we are declaring our family is a part of this. In the, in the long lines of, of Esther to uh, the people that came before us, we're standing up with them here and we're dedicating them to God. Also baptizing you know, four or five different people who are going to personally dedicate themselves to God pu publicly. That's why we do this. What's weird is whatever we trust, let's go back to Matthew, the last line, uh, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. If I took a 5,000 foot view of your life, what would somebody answer Tom really treasures this. Just kind of take a, do like a little personal inventory. And it's, maybe it's easier to, to do it with time. Where do you spend the most time? Well, my job, because I have to be there. You know, yes, okay, but maybe where do you spend your most mental capacity? Not saying this is anybody in the room, but... In the last week, did you really treasure politicians? Or are you the happiest person in the world that it's over? Because, let's leave this here, during political seasons especially, it's very apparent, you will have candidates that will show up, and, what, and depending upon right, left, middle, up, down, 
ABAB start. Uh, that's a old Nintendo. Uh, never mind. Um, yeah, two different candidates. They'll come up and they will, they will say, "I can fix your problem. Trust me." Then we as people go, "Okay, right." And then the or the other guy cannot be trusted. Trust me. I can fix the problem. And we as people will place like heave our hopes upon these political candidates and what are they going to do eventually if not already? They will fail. Because they're human. And we are placing our hope and trust on something that will fail. They all will. Even as amazing as a person, with their, you know, they got their family and they're pointing in the, com- the commercials in slow-mo, and, like at a factory or whatever, and they look great. They will fail. And, but we, every four years or so, will place our hopes, in, in our hopes on these people and then we go, man, why did they, why did they do that? Because they're humans. But we'll do that in our jobs. We'll place our hope and our trust and our security in them. We'll do that on our kids. Your kid's going to mess up. Have you ever been a kid of a parent that has placed all their hopes and dreams on you? You're terrified of failing. Or you choose a different path than the one that they have picked because we are placing our hopes and our trust and on things that will rust, on what moth will eat, the moths will eat, on things that are, you know, not here forever, not eternal. And God is saying... Place your hope and your trust and your security on what is eternal and will not fade because where your treasure is there your heart will be as well. So what do you treasure? That's hard because that gets down to like the core value of your life. That impacts your decisions. There's a Vikings game today. At noon, again, because that's every game this year. It's been at noon. There's also sales at the mall, probably. There's lots of other decisions that we get to make this week. Tuesday night, you'll be presented probably with six different options other than going to that Bible study or, or diving into the Word of God. All of these things you'll be presented with, good things usually, But where we spend our time and our mental capacity, where we place our treasure and our value, that is what God is with a giant megaphone saying, be careful because you will eventually worship that thing. It will take your attention and your focus. And we are very easily distracted people. If I just had a new iPhone... I don't even know what number they're on at this point. What are they at, Doug? 14. I don't even know what mine is. It's, if I just had that one, that one's better. That will fix the issue. Or if I just had this career, that will fix it. Or if I just had that degree or that job, or if I just got that grade, if I just, that, that's where I'm placing my value in. What happens when that fails? That car, no matter how great it is, will fail you. I just had to put a transmission in mine. That was a major fail. It was an expensive fail. Do I trust the new transmission? No. Because of what the last transmission did to me. 
driving home from Home Depot and all of a sudden my car just said, I'm done. But we trust it. And we place our value in it. And whatever we trust, we worship. So to the funding of kind of the, the vision of this church, sometimes, you know, you will be able to fund it more or less, or maybe you just fund it just in time, or maybe fund it just in serving. You, you fund the vision of the church because of the people we don't know yet. Like, who's going to sit in your chair 50 years from now? That kind of haunts me a little bit. Who sits, who's going to sit in your chair? Hopefully they got new ones by then. But who will sit in your chair 50 years from now and they'll look at a giving record somewhere along the way and they'll say, thank you, Esther. Wherever you were on the corner, and it's funny, it's written here, the corner of 9th Avenue East and 3rd Street. Everybody kind of mentally goes, down kind of by the hospitals. Their first building. Esther donated that. David Carlton. Oh, there's Carlson. Yeah, there's like 30 Carlsons in here. Um, on 1937. Then there's, there's other ones that are, that are just kind of... There's one right before... Uh, it, uh, uh, this, the history of this is just what kind of kills me sometimes. You look at the donation list, and not the, not the amount, but the quantity of donors, and all of a sudden you notice that every man in the church is gone in 1941. And you, you just notice, like, those trends you go, that's because they went off to war. Then when they came back, they came back and started having a bunch of babies, and they had to build a new building, and that's what exists on 4th Street. But... In that long line and legacy, here we stand. And I can't believe they trusted us with it. But they did. And they said, reach Duluth for Jesus. Okay. That's what we'll do. And we get to be a part of it. It's remarkable to me. So we're going to do everything that we possibly can to make heaven more crowded. To reach this city and to reach this town. For all those kids in the other room right now having the time of their life. For the 18, 19 dedications we're doing next week. Speaking of which, there's plenty of room if you still want to get your kid dedicated. We'll make it happen. That's why we're here. To worship Jesus and to tell everybody else about him. It's as simple as it gets. And we get to be a part of it. So when the Bible says something 800 times, we have to pay attention to it. Because God's trying to get our attention. Because we are a very easily distracted people. So this morning, um, we're going to be taking communion. And I, I landed communion on this, this sermon specifically because um, all communion means, it's a Greek word for common, koinonia. It's a, the fellowship, the gather. We're going to stand at this common table. Jesus had one night left to live, and he decided to share a meal with his disciples. And he said, you know, this is a representation of my sacrifice. Do this and gather around the table for generation after generation. We've been doing this for 2,000 years. And this is something that we as a church do. It's called, we, we at Easter, we celebrate what's called open communion. And the team, you guys can come up. 
And what that means is you don't have to be a member or know the secret handshake in order to get access to the, to the elements. You, if you're a believer in Jesus, you just come up, grab the elements, and go back to your seats, and we'll take, the, take it together as a family. But let me pray for you. Lord, this morning uh, we come from a variety of different situations and places. We stand in a long line of Esther's and David's. And now we as the church gather at this table in this moment, at this time, to reach as many people for you as we can, to share the life-saving salvation of the, gospel, uh, the message of the gospel. So Lord, this morning as we gather around this table, we ask for your forgiveness for where we have fallen short. And may we be, live a life that's more reflective of who you are. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.